So if you've been with us, uh, you may remember that last week we talked about the fact that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And so today we're going to be looking at the phrase here where it says that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. That Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. It's an interesting thing that the name of Pontius Pilate would be included in a creed of Christian believers. Because Pontius Pilate himself was not, as we understand, a Christian believer. Um, And so interesting that his name would be included here, but it is an important thing. And and so I kind of want to just share with you some things about why I believe that it's important to remember that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate today. And so I want to show you a picture that I found, first of all. This is a a stone that was excavated uh, by some archaeologists back in 1961. And on it, there is an inscription, and you can kind of see parts of it there. Um, But, of course, people who have studied it and analyzed it a little more closely have found this to contain the the name of Pontius Pilate. I have this note here. It says, in the summer of 1961, Italian archaeologists found a piece of limestone 82 centimeters wide by 68 centimeters high in the ruins of a sports stadium in Caesarea by the sea. Uh, And a little later in the article, it says, so we have the name set in stone, Pontius Pilate. And this was important because nowhere else did we have any documents from that time period that had his name recorded. Now, it's not uncommon for there to be governors of the Roman Empire that their names are not documented or written down somewhere because whenever the Roman Empire fell, they kind of lost everything. And and we kind of entered into a period of the Dark Ages, and and most of their structures and their history uh, was very intentionally dismantled. But in 1961, we found this, and it has the name Pontius Pilate on it, and it's in the second line there. At the top, it says Tiberius, um, and so that's kind of the, the... the head over that region, and then Pontius Pilate below there. And then down at the bottom, the last line, uh, it says uh, we have his title, the prefect of Judea. It actually is in Greek or, you know, so I, I don't know exactly how to pronounce that, but it means the prefect of Judea. And that's important too because it corroborates some of the other history that we have from that contemporary time. There was some a historian named Josephus who wrote about that particular time period. And in his writings, there's not a whole lot of other corroborating evidence. But one of the things he said about uh, Pontius Pilate is that he led military campaigns. And that was not a common feature of a governor. But here, what we see, the name, the title prefect, is a military title. And we don't have the name prefect in the scriptures But we have evidence from Josephus who says that he was militaristic. And so this kind of helps to corroborate the whole story together. Um, And uh, it says this is is important not just because it settles the debate uh, about what he called himself. So anyway, the, the idea is that this piece of stone kind of gave some solid evidence to what we find written in all four gospel accounts that there was a man named Pontius Pilate, and that man had authority in Judea, but also from contemporary historians who wrote about the same time period, and all of that ties together. And I think the reason that that is so important is because by including his name in the creed, it gives a fixed 
point in history of when this all took place. It's not just a myth. It's not just some story that you could put in any time period. The story of Jesus is a fixed point in history. There is a person that we have documentation of his existence, of his role in the region, and we have evidence that Jesus really did suffer under the authority of Pontius Pilate. And I think that is an important feature. I think that's a, a, a big deal to remember that this story that we believe in, this story of Jesus, this gospel narrative that we have is not just a fairy tale. It is not something that we invented. It's not something that, that men devised in order to control people as many in our world would want you to believe today. No, it is a historical documented um, real event in the history of our world. So, I think that's why it's important that we mention his name. This is not a fairy tale. This was a real person who lived. And so, I think the other things that we see in there are also important for us. That One of the things that we see is that Jesus, in his ministry... He was willing to submit himself to Pilate's authority. Look with me in John chapter 19, verses 6 through 11. What we see here is this. Um, this is, uh, Jesus has been brought before uh, the Sanhedrin. They have found him guilty. They tried to get all kinds of false accusations against him. And then finally, just by Jesus answering their questions, they're like, that should be good enough, right? Yeah, let's take him to Pontius Pilate. And so they carry him there to Pontius Pilate, and they are angry that Pontius is not quick to heed their demands. So anyway, John chapter 19, beginning in verse 6, it says this, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. And therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. What Jesus is saying here to, to Pilate is he's saying, listen, I know that you have this authority. And he is submitting himself to give Pilate the choice of what to do with Jesus. Pilate, by his own admission, has the authority to release Jesus. But he also has the authority to crucify him. And Jesus says, I'm leaving that up to you. And he says, you have authority, Pilate, because of that authority that has been granted to you from above. And I think this is just another picture of Jesus in his subservient role. Jesus in his humility. That he even allowed himself to be subject to this, this Roman governor. Now, Jesus definitely had authority. 
Just in the very words that he spoke, I want to show you this story in John chapter 18. If you turn back a page, it says that whenever they came by night to arrest Jesus, they came with a whole group, a cohort of soldiers to arrest Jesus. And as they showed up there in the garden, Jesus sees what's happening and he, he does this. In verse 4, Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to this, to this mob, this angry mob that shows up, he says, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And just so you know, we add the word he to make it grammatically correct in English. He really just says, I am. And that is a powerful statement because saying I am is Jesus identifying himself with the great I am. Remember whenever Moses met God at the burning bush, God said to to Moses, I want you to go and tell my people that I have heard their cry and I'm going to deliver them. And Moses says, who do I tell them has sent me? What, What name should I give them? And God says, tell them I am has sent you. The very essence of who God is is that he exists that he is before everything else. He is eternal. He always can say, I am. At any given point you point to in the world, God has always existed. And so whenever Jesus answers, he says, I am. And Judas also, who was with betraying him, was standing with them. And it says this, so when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus had authority. Jesus was someone who was far above these these men that he was dealing with. Just by announcing his identity, just by saying, I am, everyone fell back. Because he spoke with authority. He spoke as someone who, who you wouldn't want to deal with struck fear into the hearts of his enemies. And yet, standing before Pilate, he says, yes, you have the authority. That authority's been given to you. And so your decision about what to do with me is the decision that we're moving forward with. He says, but listen, that authority was given to you, and you're not going to be as guilty as the person who turned me over to you. But still, there's going to be some guilt. Because you, Pilate, have a decision to make. But here I want you to see that Jesus, having all authority in heaven and on earth, submitted himself to the rule of this governor. That's what Jesus did for us. By suffering under Pontius Pilate, that was Jesus exercising great humility. He had the authority to command his angels to rescue him out of his court. But instead, he submitted Because God had a better plan in mind. Now, I want to turn now to Matthew chapter 27. I want to look at at kind of the bigger picture of this, this whole interchange. All four Gospels include Pontius Pilate. All four of the Gospels include this time period where Jesus was taken before Pilate. Now, some Gospels include different details than the others. Right? The, the Gospels tell one story, but they tell it from different vantage points. They interview different people. They have different emphases on different parts of the story. 
And so the stories are not a perfect repeating of the story. It is telling the story from different perspectives and emphasizing different details to make different points. But all of them include Jesus before Pilate. And then the Gospel of Matthew, we see some details that don't necessarily show up in the other in all of the other four or excuse me, all of the other three. So I want to look at this one because I believe that Pilate is a bit of an archetype for us to look at as how some people deal with the person of Jesus when they're confronted with Jesus. So look with me in Matthew 27, beginning in verse 11. It says this, Now Jesus stood before the governor. The governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release from the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. And at that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And so when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. I want to pause right there and and just look at this. Pilate is sitting as the judge in this situation. Here comes a a group of religious leaders who are bringing charges against this one man. And they are hollering and shouting. You can imagine the din of them lobbing accusation after accusation at Jesus before this judge. And Jesus stands there silent. Doesn't make any excuse. Doesn't offer any counterpoints. Doesn't try to dispute any evidence. He just sits there quietly before this judge. And Pilate is amazed. Now he probably did this on a very regular basis. He probably spent a lot of time dealing with these kinds of matters. And yet, he probably had never seen anyone make absolutely no defense. But that's what Jesus did. He sat there silent before his accusers. So Pilate, being perceptive, having dealt with a lot of these people before, he understands that what's going on here is Jesus is gaining a following, and these guys are envious. These guys who are bringing an accusation against him, they're jealous of his popularity. They're jealous of his notoriety. They are jealous of what Jesus is becoming. They want that for themselves. And so he comes up with a plan to get out of it, to weasel out of this difficult decision. He says, well, it's the feast, and I was going to release a a prisoner for them. They always get a little bit more appeased, and they, they thank me whenever I release a prisoner to them. So I'll offer them one of the worst guys I could think of, or Jesus, because surely they're going to pick Jesus. And this will all blow over and everything will be okay. And so he offers it to them and they say, no, no, let Barabbas go. We'd rather have that murderer among us than to have Jesus. It says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife 
sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. So here again, Pilate gets yet another layer of incentive to not pronounce judgment. Because now we hear this stuff and we think, ah, oh, it's just a dream, no big deal. And I'm so glad that my wife's dreams about me are not true. And we can dismiss those things because in her dreams, I am a terrible, terrible person. Thank you. If you've ever had that happen, if you've ever had the experience of your wife waking up just brokenhearted over what you've done to her in a dream, it's, it's paralyzing. You're like, I, I'm sorry? I, I didn't mean to do that, but... And, and so we don't kind of consider dreams in the same manner that they would consider dreams in that day. And so this was something that they would take very seriously. When his wife says to him, I have suffered greatly in a dream because of him. And her encouragement is have nothing to do with that righteous man. That would have struck a nerve with Herod or excuse me, with Pilate. That would have startled him. That would have been something that he would consider as an important omen. But it says the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. The governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They said, crucify him. He said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. Pilate was in a position of authority. He himself knew, I have the authority to release Jesus or to send him to the cross. He saw through the accusations and he knew that they were lies. He knew that they were just envious of Jesus. He listened to what they had to say and he said, there is no evil that this man has done that is deserving of death. There is nothing that he's done wrong. But he was caught in a difficult place because what he saw as he witnessed the people beginning to form a a riot against him was he saw his career being washed away. He saw his position of authority being taken from him. He saw the the name that he made for himself being tarnished. And rather than doing what he knew was right, he did what was more comfortable, what was easier. And he symbolically washed his hands of the situation, which just means that he was sidestepping the authority that he had. Because he had the authority to release Jesus. Verse 25, it goes on. He says, all the people said, his blood shall be on us 
and on our children. And then they released Barabbas for them, but after having him scourged, he handed Jesus over to be crucified. Listen, I believe that many of us today find ourselves in positions like this where Jesus is being accused of being unfair, of being wrong, where Christianity is being blamed for problems that we have in our society. And we, we stand there and we hear these things and yet we say nothing. I think we see this in the life of Pontius Pilate, that he knew the truth. He knew what Jesus could do. And instead of doing what he ought to do, he caved to the community around him. He caved to the social pressures around him. I I think that we've got to realize that Jesus really is the answer for us. And that when, when we're facing those difficult conversations with family members, with friends, with coworkers, we need to be willing to stand for Jesus and say, no, I don't think that Jesus is wrong. I don't think that Christianity is the problem. I think that there are some Christians who don't live up to the standards of Christianity. I think that there are some people who claim the name of Christ and don't live like that. That doesn't mean that Jesus is not who he says he is. I believe this world needs to hear clearly more than ever that Jesus Christ can save us and he can change our lives. I think too often we choose our own life, our own comforts, our own status within our communities. And we don't stand up and say, the truth about who Jesus is and what he's able to do. Now listen, I don't consider this to be a situation where we're necessarily under persecution. Not yet. I I think that there could be a time in the future where we as Americans face real persecution. As we read the stories of the Christian martyrs in the book of Acts, they were, that was persecution. Their lives were at risk. Their livelihood was taken away from them if they claimed the name of Christ. We may not be there right now, but if we will not stand up for the cause of Christ, if we will not defend the truth of His Word, we could find ourselves moving towards that direction. And we have to do that the right way. We don't need clever slogans. We don't need to have a a polished response for every attack necessarily. We just need to be confident in who Jesus is and be willing to testify to the truth that we have found in his word. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will warn, warn you whom to fear. Fear the one 
who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus says, listen, there are people who will want to take your life for the things that you say. If you profess me as your Lord, there will be people who do not like you for that one simple fact. Don't be afraid of those people. Because even if they take your life, they can't take any more than that from you. You say, well, I really want to keep that too, if I could. But Jesus says, listen, there is one who is greater than them. This one, he has the ability not only to take a life, but then to cast that soul into hell. That's the one that you need to be considering. Don't fear people, fear the Lord. Don't be afraid of what people will say about you. Think about what God will say about you. Don't live for the pleasures of men. Don't live for their approval. Live for the approval of God on high. He's the only one worthy of our full devotion. Now listen, that might give us a terrible picture of God, a fearful picture of God, as He is one who is just waiting to cast people into hell. But listen to what he says. He goes on, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. God's not waiting to cast you into hell. God has not forgotten you. And God has not left you alone in the midst of these people who might hate your life. For taking a stand for Christ. He says this, he goes on, I I say to you, and everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues, The rulers, the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you're to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I think what we see here is this, that Jesus is saying, look, people are going to say things against me. People are going to try to deny that I have the power to change lives. People are going to try to come up with all kinds of accusations against me. But if they'll really consider it, the Holy Spirit is going to tell them the truth about who I am. Because God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, the Scriptures say. God wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge and understanding of who Christ is. Everyone. And that comes by the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts, saying, yes, this is true. When we hear truth, it resonates in our hearts, and we know beyond doubt that it's true. But what happens in that moment is there is a wrestling within us because we know that if we believe that that's true, then we have to surrender our lives to follow Him. And there are many people today who are not willing to let go of their life to let go of the comforts that they have, to let go of the status that they have, they have garnered for themselves, to admit that they are servants of Christ. They don't want to let go of their life and let Christ be their Lord. 
And so they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They refuse to acknowledge that stirring within them that is the Spirit of God drawing them closer. But Jesus is telling them, listen, God cares about you. He knows every detail of your life. He is there with you no matter what. He is he, is no, he knows the number of hairs on your head, whether they be many or few. God knows exactly every detail of your life, and He's there with you. So don't be afraid whenever they drag you before synagogues or rulers and lobby accusations against you. Don't be afraid of what's going to happen in that moment. And don't feel like you've got to have a prepared speech because what will happen in that moment is if you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit will move in your heart to give you the words to say that need to be said in that moment. We don't have any reason to fear. But we've all felt it. We've all felt those moments where we know in that moment we could say something that might encourage someone about Christ. We hear what's going on and we know this would be a great opportunity. I wish JP was here so he could talk to them about that. You ever had that? Oh, I wish so-and-so was here so he could tell them about Jesus because I know that person would tell them, but I don't think that I'm the person for that job. Let me tell you, if you feel that again, God's telling you to say it. If you think, oh, I wish so-and-so could be here to say something, you're the so-and-so who needs to say it. God's giving you an opportunity and an insight to know there are words of hope that this person needs to hear, and I could speak up. I could say the words of hope. I could say the words of healing that that person needs. I could speak an encouraging word that would point someone towards Christ. And you can do it, so just do it. Open your mouth and say what needs to be said. Instead, we wrestle like Pilate does. All too often, we sit back and we say, oh, but if I say that, then they're going to do this, and they might think this, and then these other people are going to hear about it, and it might, and we run through this crisis that just doesn't exist. God cares about you too much to let everything go to garbage. He says, we need to be willing to just say what God places on our heart to say the words that the Spirit gives us in the moments when we ought to say them. I think we see this in the life of Pilate. He knew the truth. He had every reason to understand that Jesus was an innocent man and that he should be set free. But he feared the crowd. And then basically sat back and did nothing. And let Jesus be crucified under his name of authority. But what a gracious gift Jesus gave us in going to the cross and dying for us and letting Pontius Pilate, a person who was almost completely forgotten from history, make the final decision of his life. I think Jesus is offering each of us that kind of decision. You've heard the story of who Jesus is. You know the truth. And you have the Holy Spirit drawing you closer to Him, saying you 
should lay it all down for me. You should lay everything else aside and follow after me. The question is, what are you going to do about it? I don't think that it's, I don't think it's an option for us just to say, well, I'm just going to wash my hands of this and, and just bow out. I'm going to stay neutral in the life of Jesus. I'm going to stay neutral on the topic of Christianity. I don't think that neutrality is an option. Jesus told his disciples, you're either for us or you're against us. Will you live for Jesus? Will you make the choice to let him be the Lord of your life? Let's pray. God, I thank you for recording for us the life of Pilate and the choice that he made as an example to us, as a testimony of someone who felt the tension that we've all felt where we can sense the Spirit leading us to say the right words of encouragement, to make the choice, and yet fear the crowd. Lord, forgive us for when we've missed that mark, where we've sidestepped those opportunities. Lord, we confess our weakness before you. We ask that you would make us strong. Jesus, increase our faith to trust you. That even if we say a word of encouragement and we stumble over the words, that your spirit can make everything right. That your spirit can take our imperfections and offer your perfect hope through them. Jesus, I thank you that you came to the cross and died for us. I thank you that you submitted yourself to the authority of Pilate and that you still submit yourself to our decisions, whether we'll follow you or reject you. Jesus, I pray that we would be convinced of the truth and act in accordance with it. For your glory and for your namesake. Be glorified in us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When I hear a message like this, usually what comes to mind is this. I, I, this is the prayer that I pray. God, help me in this next week to be on alert for those opportunities to speak a word of hope and give me the boldness to say it. Let me encourage you to pray the same. Maybe God's bringing a person to mind, someone that you know you might run into this week and might have one of those opportunities. Purpose, decide today. I'm going to say what God teach, what God tells me to say. I'm not going to back away. I'm not going to be afraid. And tell the Lord, I'm surrendering to be what you've called me to be. As we sing this morning, you've responded.